0: In today's episode of The Rise Podcast, I'm sitting down with Reshma Sojani. Reshma is the author of the new book, Brave Not Perfect, which came out just before Girls Stop Apologizing, and I could not believe how much we are aligned on this idea of women Not reaching for perfection, but reaching for courage and reaching for more. She's also the founder of Girls Who Code. She's doing incredible work out there in the world, and I know you're going to love her message as much as I do. I'm Rachel Hollis, and I've built a multi-million dollar media company with a high school diploma and the free information I found on the internet. In the 15 years that I've been building and scaling my company, I have become deeply passionate about helping other entrepreneurs to do the same. So each week, I'll be sharing tangible and tactical advice and inspiring interviews with the same intention. These are the tools to change your life and your business. This is the Rise Podcast. Reshma, thank you so much for joining us on Rise Podcast today. I have been waiting for this day for weeks and weeks and weeks, and I feel super lucky to get to have a conversation with you for listeners who are already aware of your incredible work to get to hear a little bit more and for maybe some listeners to get to find out about your story for the first time ever.
1: Well, I feel the same way about you. I have been counting the days we're talking, so I'm so glad we are.
0: Yeah. So if you would take us on a journey, tell us about your career, because you have such an interesting career that leads into the company you now run today.
1: Yeah. So, you know, my parents came here as refugees in like 1973. So I was the quintessential good girl. I felt like they had sacrificed and gone through so much in this country, and life for them was already a struggle that like, I couldn't, be an added stress, right? I needed to be, get straight A's, you know, work at the right places, not give them a lot of trouble. And so I feel like very early on, I started thinking more about what they wanted rather than what I wanted. Um, probably from the time I was like 13, uh, I know this sounds cheesy, but like, I love this country cause it literally saved my parents' life. And like, I knew that I wanted to do something to give back but then I found myself after I graduated college and then law school with like $300,000 in student loan debt. And so I naively thought like I'd go work for the man, you know, in a <laughs> law firm. You know, I'd pay off the student loans in like a year or two. I clearly didn't read like the interest rates and <laughs> I got stuck. Yeah. And I kind of found myself in my early 30s being like, is this it? Like, yeah. is this your life?
0: And is it, can I ask going into law, was that a passion of yours or was that something that you sort of dipped into because of your parents?
1: That was a passion of mine. Okay. So I feel like I watched way too much TV and I thought that I'd be like fighting in a courtroom and not like reading a bunch of documents for like, good people. <laughs> yes. so I wasn't, I don't think anyone fully explained to me what a career in the law for many looked like, um, but I loved like I was always a debater, I loved arguing, I loved advocating, like that was that path was right. I think I got stuck. I think all this happens to a lot of people because oftentimes when you don't come from a lot of money and you have that debt, you feel like you have to make choices to sacrifice or that like, you know, to like get to your impending life, um, that are in the here and now.
0: And so you're, you're in law school or you're, are you out when you decide that, okay, you're you're out
1: 33 years old. I'm in a job that I hate. And now Mm. it's been like a minute, right? It's like, it's been like 10 years. Right. Uh, and I'm miserable and I'm coming home every night from my job, like drinking a very large glass of wine and just asking myself, like, what, how did I get here? And I had never felt that sad or that depressed before. And I remember one day my, like I'm sitting there and my best friend calls me and I go in this like windowless conference room and I just start crying. Mm -hmm. And like through the tears, I hear her say like, just quit, just quit. And it's such a simple thing to say, but I didn't feel like I had agency to quit. You know, here I was in this job that people would dream to have, you know, who was I to like, feel like I didn't quote like it, or it wasn't what I was meant to do, or what I was put on this earth to do or what God had destined for me. And I felt that way. And so she gave me the permission to quit and I quit and then I ran for United States Congress. Because...
0: <laughs> okay, hold on, hold on. There's a bit, that's a big dirty there. <laughs> you quit your job. How in the world? Had you thought about politics? Like how did that happen?
1: I loved politics. Like I loved, I had a very romantic view of politicians back then in that like, if you wanted to make a difference in your community, like run for office. And Mm -hmm. I probably worked on my first campaign when I was 18 years old. And so, you know, I had knocked on doors. I had gone to rallies. I had, you know, I had, I'd been, you know, I'd been an activist or an organizer. Um, and I loved to debate. I, I felt like I had some good ideas. And, you know, it's funny. Every time I participated in the political process, I always heard, heard people say, well, women should run for office. Well, women should run for office and more young women should run. So I was like, great. Like I'm ready to run. <laughs> and I, again, it, it's, it's sometimes it's so funny, Rachel. Sometimes it's like what you don't know is it's sometimes better to walk into things and not know everything.
0: A hundred percent.
1: And I was like, yeah, like I can go shake every hand. And I got in the democratic primary and I ran against someone who had been there for 18 years. I just didn't think she was all that effective. Um, and I had some ideas and I just thought I could shake every hand and meet every voter and figure it out. And I, uh, I lost miserably, like it mm. was like a, a like a schlacking. And by now, like I had quit my job. So I worked for a year without with, you know, ran through my savings. So I'm broke. I'm like humiliated. I had angered everybody in the democratic establishment because I didn't wait my turn. And I have like no contingency plan. I'm also like one of those people. I don't know if you can relate. I don't like people feeling sorry for me.
0: Mm, when absolutely
1: I, when I would meet people people would be like are you okay and I'm like I'm fine
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> do you know your Enneagram number no oh, okay I ask everyone this I just there there's some similar I'm a three which is an achiever and we do not like that feeling of vulnerability and so I wondered if that was yeah you I, gotta,
1: I gotta figure out what mine is <laughs> yeah. probably I'm probably like in three. Yeah. Like two. yeah but you're right it's like it is like you feel vulnerable. Like when people say, are you okay to me then in particular? Now I feel like I've evolved uh, and I'm much more open about things in a way that I just wasn't back then. But the big kind of, so I lose, it's horrible. I'm devastated. But when I wake up the next morning, the first thing I feel is I'm not broken. Like I am not broken. I had thought for so long in my life that if I did something and it didn't work out, that it would literally break me. And so it was a shock to be sad, but be like, oh, okay, I I can go find another day. And it was this massive aha moment for me that, like, I can live my life differently. I can take more risks. I can get rejected. I can fail. And at the same time, because, you know, when I was running that campaign, Rachel, I was so joyful. I was so happy. Every day was like a new day of just feeling like I was alive. Mm-hmm. I was doing things I had never done before. I was in front of audiences I had never. I was figuring things out. It was all hard and exhausting, but I felt very alive.
0: And- I feel like I, I want to make sure that listeners really hear that right now because one of the questions I get asked most often is about this fear of failure. And there's two things that Reshma said that I feel like are so valuable. One is even in the struggle of trying to run this campaign, right? Like you were loving it. It was hard as heck. I'm sure it was physically, mentally, emotionally exhausting, but at least you were trying. So many people will never feel that because they won't even allow themselves to try. Uh, The other thing that I loved that you said was that you woke up the next day and you knew, I'm still here, I'm, I'm still here. I can stand back up. I can go again. And what I'm curious about is, do you think if you hadn't pushed yourself into an unknown like that, would you have ever understood that in the way you did?
1: No, yeah. I would have been playing my life and living my life safe. You know, I would have been, I had for so long in my life been giving up before I tried and be like, oh, I can't do that. Like I talked myself out of so many things and i because again, I thought I would if I didn't work out, I, I wouldn't be able to recover. And it was that fear of not being able to recover that held me back from doing things that I, I knew deep in my heart that I wanted to do, or I had an idea to do. So this was a big juncture in my life for me, because it like it shifted my thinking. Right? Uh, it shifted my thinking to realize that, oh, you could try something and it could like your biggest dream and you could it could not work out and you could have enjoyed the experience and felt alive and be ready for the next obstacle or journey.
0: And so what was the next obstacle or journey?
1: Girls Who Code. So, then, <laughs> Which is, you know, so then I I lose. I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, I lost, but like, I loved it. And so I want to keep change making. I want to keep helping people. Um, what is the one thing that I saw on the campaign trail that like really moved me that I think I can make a difference on? And, you know, my, since my parents came here as refugees, I've literally had a job since I was 12, like Baskin Robbins, retail, like you name it telemarketing. And I really believe in the American dream. Like I really believe that like, through hard work through education that you can like march up into the middle class and my family is really a reflection of that. And so when I was running for office I'd I'd go into these New York City public schools and I'd see boys, you know, computer labs full of boys learning to code, not a girl in sight. And I was like what's going on here? Like I knew Silicon Valley was like a boys club, but I didn't know that that started in high school. Mm -hmm. I wanted to, I didn't understand it. So I started kind of every day, I I got a job as, you know, working government, but during my lunch break in my, at night, I would go meet with people who were professors teaching computer science, you know, uh, teachers that were teaching science and education, like organized, like women, like I just wanted to learn everything there was about why were there not, why were women not in technology? Why were less than 18% of the technology force female? Why were, you know, computer science classes in high school or middle school, only 20% of them were girls? Like, why? And kind of came up with this idea about teaching girls to code in summer camps that were free. And here's the thing, Rachel, I didn't know how to code. I did not. Mm,
0: I uh, didn't know that about you. No. How funny.
1: I was a poli speech vacations major. I was terrified of math and science. Because I ran that campaign and tried something and it didn't, again, it didn't break me. I suddenly felt like, wow, I could take out other challenges about things, not be a perfectionist and just, and it be okay. And so it didn't occur to me that like I had to learn how to code and be an expert in a subject to start something. What I felt like was I needed to have passion and the will to want to make a difference and want and want to create opportunity for girls. And that's where I was coming from.
0: Did you, when you were doing the research, uh, as you're trying to figure out why aren't women in technology, what were the findings? Was it just, they're not exposed to it at a young age. And so they don't think of it when they head to college or like, what was, what was the reason that you found?
1: Yeah. So look, I think that, and this is what my new book is about. I think that we raise girls and boys differently.
0: Absolutely.
1: So we encourage boys to, and I have a son, so I, I, you know, my family is guilty of this too. Like, you know, we encourage our boys to like crawl to the top of the monkey bars and just jump, you know, to man up, to toughen up. And it's normally kind of through physicalness. but with our girls pretty much from 30 months, we are protecting them, you know, one in the name of, of again, physical danger. So we'll like, be careful, honey, you know, don't swing your swing too high. Like, mm-hmm. is your dress dirty? Let me clean you up. Like, did you get that toy back from her? Like, say sorry. So we're, We're insulating our girls from danger and failure, and we're doing the very opposite with our boys, right?
0: Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. Transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Like I, I read, I read your book and I remember that, you know, as you're going through the intro in this part, and I was by myself yesterday with my daughter who's two and a half and she's jumping in and out of the pool onto like a little platform in and out, in and out. And I started to say, be careful. And I <laughs> swear, I don't know if it's because it was subconscious. I knew I was going to talk to you today. I remembered that scene of like, you know what? You didn't tell the boys to be careful. You were like, yeah, yeah buddy, keep splashing. And I just held my tongue. It's so true. I mean, my
1: husband and I got this huge fight about a nightlight because Sean, my son, he's four, came to me and was like, "Mommy, I'm afraid of the dark." And so, of course, I go to buy my baby. I buy the nightlight. I plug it in. You know, go into my room. Two minutes later, my husband comes up the stairs. You know, pulls out the nightlight. Right. Oh, no. Two minutes later, Sean's we do this whole thing, and finally, I'm like, what is your problem? Like, he's afraid of the dark. And like, again, my feminist husband, my house.
0: Yes. My husband
1: is like, no, no, we got we got to toughen them up, and I'm like no, if Sean was a girl, would you let him have the night? Well, you let her have Ooh, the
0: night. Oh, wow. Yeah. He
1: thought about it and he was like, Ugh, yeah. So it's like it happens all the time and it's not intentional. Mm-hmm. Right? Not, it's second nature. It's the way we were raised. It's the way we're raising our kids. And so those the consequences of that are, you know, bravery becomes second nature for boys as they get older and they Launch businesses, right? They ask for promotions, they ask for raises. And for us, it's the opposite, right? We start getting addicted to perfection, it starts becoming part of our identity. And, you know, we suddenly find ourselves not applying for jobs unless we meet a hundred percent of the qualifications. Yeah. Women are twice as likely to suffer depression as men. So we've all these perfectionism kind of rears its ugly head. And you write about this in your, your newest book, right? Like perfectionism kind of rears its ugly head in every aspect of our life. Mm-hmm. And the apology part it, I find so interesting because as I've been out there with women, Universally, whether I'm in like Montana or like New York, I'm like, how many of you in the past week were walking down the street and someone bumped into you and you said, oh, "I'm sorry,
0: absolutely, all of us It's like you're sorry for taking up space. you're sorry for existing, but it's something it's exactly like you said. It's something that we've had in us since we were we were little girls. I definitely was raised to be a good little girl, to be polite, to make people happy, to, you know, to smile and look pretty and do all these things and it's no wonder that it follows you into adulthood because that was the whole of your childhood was being taught to exist in a certain way.
1: Yep. Totally. And it it, and it, it becomes it but I do think that and we're going to talk about tactics later. I do feel like it's you can unlearn it. Mm mm-hmm. Mhm you know, and, but you, but it's like, it's like losing weight, right? You, you fall on and off the wagon and you have to be conscious of it. And it's not like one and done. Like, even for me, it's like, Oh, like I did that one brave thing. And now I'm brave now. Like I find myself (laughs) falling back all the time. And I have to catch myself as you know, you're traveling for your book tour. And it was like nearing the end of my West coast trip. And like, we're going and we go to the, you know, we go to the airport desk and, I get upgraded and I'm with my son and my husband. Sure enough, I look at my husband and I have to work in 16 hour days. And I'm like, oh baby, you, you take the front of the bus. I'll sit, I'll sit in the back with Sean. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, you know, he's on his like ninth episode of Paw Patrol, like having me toddle back and forth, throwing M&Ms at me. All I want to do is sleep and have a glass of wine. Yeah. Looking at my husband who's doing exactly that. And I'm so mad at myself and I'm like, why did you do this? Why did yeah. you talk about this? You're on a tour about this. And it's because I'm like, oh, I feel like I have to be a martyr because I feel guilty. Yes. I haven't been the perfect mom. Yeah. And so of course, you know, there's only 40 minutes after the flight, but i march up to the front and I'm like, we're switching. Now. Switching.
0: We're switching. Yes. Good for you. <laughs> like right? bring me the wine.
1: <laughs> oh, right. Right. But we, you know, it doesn't matter. It's, uh, how deep you are in this, and how self-aware you are in this, you, we do fall back and forth because it's so ingrained in us.
0: Yeah. And so, what are the things that you have found are helpful for women if they find themselves in this place of um, wanting to be brave, wanting to try something new, falling into this pit of perfectionism? Which, if you're if you're going to attempt anything new, there it's an absolute impossibility that you can do it perfectly. Yeah. What what's some of the advice you would give to listeners who find themselves in that place right now?
1: Right. So I think the first thing I would say is you can't be brave if you're tired. Like you cannot be brave if you're tired. Oh my
0: you just like my my brain just exploded like the emoji. <laughs> you cannot be brave if you're tired is the quote of the day that is so good. Will you unpack that? So
1: every woman I know is exhausted. Like we're exhausted, exhausted. It is no wonder, right? We're not as brave as we want to be. And we put off doctor's appointments because suddenly going to the doctor became selfish. You know, we put other people's feelings before us when we need to go for a walk. We're like, oh, I'll get to it later. You know, we don't sleep enough. We don't eat right. And so all of that is making us so tired and exhausted. So it's hard to kind of lift yourself out. It's, It's just... It's easier to kind of go with the flow, right? And do the thing that's going to make other people happy and not rock the boat and not change that job that you feel like uh, about or like get out of the relationship that you know you're no longer in love with that person. So it's easier to just do the thing that's easy, which often is not the brave thing. So the first thing I say to, to, to women is like, get rested, get ready. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you have to, you can't be brave if you're tired,
0: Gosh, that's so good. I love that. That's my favorite thing (laughs) that I've heard in an interview for a while because it's so simple and it's not ethereal. It's like not out there. It is just a real fact of life. You can't be a lot of things if you're tired, quite frankly. You can't be effective. It's hard to be productive. It's hard to be joyful. And yet we're all pouring out every ounce that we have onto everyone around us instead of taking Ownership of what we need in order to not just survive, but thrive in the life that we're inside of.
1: Yeah. And I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like women are more tired than we've ever been. Absolutely. Right? I think you see that more and and across the board, across socioeconomic centers, across race, across religion, across everything. Like we are one thing that we universally have in common is we are all exhausted.
0: Yeah. In fact, I'm getting a question. I, you know, I've had a a, long before I did this, I had a blog. So I've been online with women for at least 11 years. And I'm getting a question all of the time lately that I have never gotten, which is what do you do when you're in total burnout? Burnout. And and these are like stay at home moms. These are second grade teachers. These, um, I, I got it once and I was like, huh. And now I get the question all the time. I'm like, yeah. how did we go from, you know, hey, let's practice some more self-care to I'm totally burnt out and I feel like I'm not, like I'm drowning.
1: Yeah. And Instagram hasn't helped, right? Because You're right. it's almost You're right. like, you're lazy if you're taking self-care, right? You're not hustling, yes. you're not working hard enough. You're not, you know, you're not going for it. And, and that's just a huge problem. And that's why, you know, I do these like failure Friday posts on, um, on Fridays, but I think it's so important for women like us to show the real, the realness. Cause I don't know about you, but like, I go really hard and then I crash yeah. and like really crash and yeah. like, like get sick crash. And then I get back up and, I, and I, it's like, I haven't learned anything. Like all I need to do uh, is yes. build it into my week where I'm resting.
0: So my the the big shift that I have done in the past, I'd say 18 months, because that absolutely was my story for a decade. I am <laughs> this sounds, I don't know how this sounds. I my weeks, I'm working so hard. I'm up at 5 a.m. I'm doing all the things. I am present as a mama, as a boss, I'm doing it, whatever. Nights and weekends. I am in sweatpants and I am doing no things. I don't go to the grocery store. I don't cook. I don't, I I mean, I, everybody's alive. We might be eating turkey sandwiches for dinner, but I have fully released myself from having to be a certain way. Like, I, I, I guess I compartmentalize. Like this is when I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna do it really hard. But the only way that I can do that is if in the other times I'm just, really hardcore taking the chance to recharge. So a lot of times with the kids, I'm like, guys, we're going to lay here and we're going to, you know, watch a movie together or we're going to play a board game. Like mommy can't, we, I can't go with you somewhere. I can't go jump on the trampoline. I literally don't have the energy. We're going to be together, but it's going to be with the lowest energy I can muster. And that has really, really helped. Oh, wow. I'm going to try that. That's really powerful. Cause you know what, it's like, even as, even if we're working and we have help, I don't know about you, but I feel like the weekend comes around and I'm like, okay, now is when this is what I used to think. Okay. now is when I show, show the world that I'm super mom. Yeah. Now is when I show the world that these babies do not miss out by having a working mother. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I'm like, all these kids want, literally all my kids want is time with me where I'm present. And so I'm like, I put away the phone. I'm not even wearing a bra, but brother, we are going to hang out and we are going to have, but it's, it's a very low, very, very low key fun. but that has made a huge difference in my life.
1: All right. I'm trying that. That's great. I think that's powerful because it's true. You have this pressure to almost give what you give to your career, to your kids at the same level of intensity and vice versa.
0: Almost every morning of my life, I have oatmeal. Seriously, during the winter, having something hot in the morning really makes a big difference in my day. Quaker has been a trusted name in oatmeal for over 145 years, which means they've been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, or ballpoint pens. Quaker has something for everyone, whether it's old-fashioned or quick oats that are good for cooking or baking. And while a ton of things have changed, the good stuff remains the same. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker Oats at your local grocery store. I am taking my four children away this weekend to go skiing. Market.com slash ThriveMarket.com slash Well, and I think it's there's seasonality to it, right? Like you're on a book tour, it, it just the pendulum is going to, to weigh in the direction of work. It just yeah. is. It's so yeah. it requires so much energy for you to travel like that and be on and take pictures and do press. And so you there is going to be some sacrifice there in that season with your son. But then the flip of that is, okay, now I made it through this difficult season at work. And now what are we doing as a family? How are we taking a vacation? What Fridays can I take off so that we can have more time together? It's like, my, my wish, my hope for women is always that they can just find the rhythm that works for their family.
1: And that's why flexibility is so important in making sure we create workspaces that do that because it's, we can do that. We can build that in because we're the kind of CEOs of our organization, but it's harder when you're not. Um, Yeah. So look, rest is big. And then the, the other thing I've been you know, this idea of practicing imperfection, you know, I feel like we think that if we don't do the perfect thing, like everything will fall apart. So the way I always tell women, this is like emails, like every woman I know is afraid to send an email with a typo in it. And she'll like reread and rewrite and reread and rewrite with like a hundred emojis and explanation points. (laughs) And like, by that time, it's like, There's no time for anything else. And so what I say to women is like, you know, send an email with a typo in it. And like, I promise you, like nothing will happen because we go quickly from, I have a typo to I'm stupid to I'm an idiot. to I'm going to get fired in like 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. And you realize that the worst possible thing that you think is going to happen probably isn't going to happen. And so this idea of like practicing imperfection is really, or like going to the grocery store without a full face of makeup on or bringing store-bought cookies to your kid's birthday party. Like it's okay.
0: Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. I mean, I guess that that's, there's a really interesting idea there because some of the things that you mentioned are not like, that's not, I will bring a store-bought cookie all day. I am happy to show my rosacea to the world. Here is my skin. (laughs) I'm right now I'm in my office, not wearing makeup, but I'm sure that there are things in my life where I want it to be as good as it can possibly be. So I love the idea of identifying the thing that you personally need to like unclench on. Like what is the thing that you know that you are way too hard on yourself in this area? And you need to be graceful about allowing yourself to do that imperfectly and just keep trying.
1: Yeah, totally. And, and, and that like, and part of what I think happens is that like, it's like, for me, what I feel like the hack on failure is, is to imagine the worst thing that could possibly happen. Like, so for me, I ran for office. I'm like, okay, I'm going to lose. I'm going to be broke. Everyone's going to laugh at me. And then I'm going to have a sworn enemy for the rest of my life. Great.
0: (laughs) Having a sworn enemy is very dramatic. It sounds a little bit like you're a pirate. That's very empowering. I like it. Um,
1: But yeah, like I'm going to do something that's going to anger somebody because I'm going against the grain and they're never going to forget that, which is kind of what happened. But like my point is, is like, I feel like once you visualize the worst thing happening, when it happens, you're like, okay, I've kind of experienced this. Like it's a little meta, but it works. And Mm -hmm. It's kind of the same thing for for practicing imperfection. It's like you realize that like the thing that I thought was not was going to happen just didn't. And that's okay.
0: Yeah, I think too, for me in business, if I when if and when I get anxiety about a new place that we're going to lean into in business, let's say I I absolutely do that. I imagine, okay, worst case scenario, what's the worst thing that can happen here? Like, I don't know the product. They hate the product, or someone sues us, or like I, I just like all, and then I just quickly make myself okay. And if that happened, what would you do? And if that happened, what would you do? And get and you're like, no matter what the answer is, you're like, well, I'd just keep going. Like I'd figure yeah. it out. We would be fine. We would have a blip. We'd have to navigate around it. But I, but it by kind of following it down the rabbit hole. At least for me, because whenever I'm feeling anxiety the answer for me is always knowledge. If I can do, if I have some knowledge or if I can do some research, it makes me feel like, all right, I might not know everything, but at least I've got a little bit of, I've got some tools, I've got some ideas of how to navigate around this rather than just staying in this fear loop of what could possibly happen.
1: Yep. And like, you've kind of like, you've done the homework and you kind of know you know, what, what's the alternative? And mm-hmm. it, it makes
0: it less scary. Absolutely. Will you talk about when you started, um, uh, just for people who aren't familiar with Girls Who Codes, I want to make sure that they understand what the business is because I, I, I love that you started a business in an area that you, like you started this business. You didn't know how to, you didn't know how to code. Will you talk, yeah. because so many of our listeners are, have this dream of building something, but won't even allow themselves to take the first step for fear that they're going to get it wrong.
1: Yep. Well, and I also think that we've kind of been told, and I think this goes back to us being raised as perfectionists, that like you have to be an expert in something to start. Whereas I often think that the best business people are, are trying to solve a problem that they faced or saw. And so for me, right, I saw like, wait, why are girls not coding? And I was very curious about understanding why that wasn't happening and then started approaching it, like in some ways, like writing a book report, like what are all the reasons why this isn't happening? And then, and then had this idea and I didn't let the fact that I wasn't an expert almost stop me. And in some ways, had I been a woman in technology and had gone through this, I probably would have had a lot more – it probably would have been harder for me to launch Girls Who Code because I would have been like, oh, no, 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 that and that and that and that. You can't do this, right? Whereas my naivety is probably what allowed me to now build a movement that's reached millions of girls. Uh, and so in some ways, your passion and not your expertise is a benefit.
0: Uh, and I think Totally.
1: We have to see it kind of that way. And men certainly do. Most men I know, I feel like, are, are starting businesses about things that they actually don't know anything about, but just see an opportunity. And so, you know, Girls Who Code, it's a, it's a nonprofit. Uh, we basically have two major products. We have um, one, we run these free summer immersion programs. So everyone who's listening, go on girlswhocode.com and see how you can slot your daughter in. But we basically build these summer camps for seven weeks inside technology companies. And so, like Facebook or Microsoft or Sephora or Bank of America or AT and Adobe. Like for twenty girls for seven weeks, will go to these camps and they'll learn how to code inside the company. And they're in Austin, they're in Atlanta, they're in New York, they're in San Francisco, they're in L A., they're in Arkansas, they're like everywhere, um, and they're free. And then we have these girls who code after school clubs for third graders on up that are in six. We have 6,000 of them.
0: That's so the cool.
1: Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty amazing. I'm a big I'm a big believer, Rachel, and our girls. Like, I just I think that they're they're going to heal us. They're going to save us. You know, they're going to lead us and that the more we can do to kind of invest in them and allow them to kind of create, build and innovate, like they're going to solve real big problems. Mm-hmm. And that's also why I wrote this book, because I realized that many times the thing that's standing in their way is not their ability, but their perceived ability because of perfectionism. So it's all, they immediately go to like, I can't do this even though they haven't even tried. And it's what it's them thinking that their mindset is fixed that I mean they're good at something or bad at something. And all of us have kind of gone through this. But how can you unlearn that? And I think you again, you unlearn that through bravery and through failure uh and through risk taking.
0: It's so it's so interesting because I think that what so many of us grow up believing is that in order to be it, it's like in order to be perfect, we have to do things perfectly. And this is a total mind shift that says, in order to get better at something, we're not even trying, we're not trying to be perfect. We're trying to improve. We're trying to grow. In order to do that, you have to be willing to not be very good at it. You have to be willing to fall. You have to be willing to fail because it is in those Like it's the strength that you get when you're standing back up or the lessons that you learn. I'm sure as a founder of a business, like I know this is true for me. I'm sure it's true for you. So much of our best practices came out of our biggest failures as a company.
1: thousand percent. And also like I love, look, I mean, like I think you're such a, you're so incredible because you built your empire, and nobody gave that to you. Mm. But in fact, you probably had to fight for the recognition that people would have gotten if they had done one fourth of what you'd already built. Yeah. Because you were not the traditional, right? Like, sure. Person. Well, definitely if
0: they were, <laughs> if definitely, definitely if they were a guy. It's a yeah. whole different thing for sure. a whole sure.
1: different thing. And, um, and so and that's the thing I think for so long we think well I'm just going to work real hard and somebody will recognize me and it's like Mm-mm, nope like you have to create your own destiny you have to create your own success your own power and there's a lot of fun in that too
0: absolutely but but I love I mean I, you and I are preaching on the same like to the same church I feel like because it's this idea that you have to take that ownership of your own life you have to be willing to to not put it on your partner, your friends, your sister, your parents. Like if you want something, you've got to be willing to go after it. Even if you go after it at, gosh, most especially go after it imperfectly. It's just the willingness to try.
1: Yep. And the thing is, is that like bravery is like a moonshot, right? Most of some things don't work out. Like I'm sure like People And that's a, that's the other thing. I think people often look at our life and be like, oh my God, you're so lucky. And it's like, no, there, there are 10 things that happen on a day-to-day basis. Like, you know, I had five miscarriages before I had my son. Mm. Like fertility for me has been that thing. But, every, you know, I have kind of like stood up to it and said, all right, I'm not, you know, I'm going to be a mom, right? And I'm going I'm to keep going in and keep going in and keep going. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to let this situation break me. And I think that like, I think that oftentimes, um, we let, we let some of our biggest pain and some of our biggest obstacles stand in front of our destiny.
0: Absolutely. Oh my gosh. So good guys. If you are loving everything that Reshma is saying, and I'm sure that you are, the book is brave, not perfect. Uh, it's available. I mean, anywhere you can get a book and I'm sure it's on audio as well. Yep, Yep. this is a big audiobook crowd, so I'm sure they're going to run over to Audible and grab that. Um, if people are obsessed with you like I am and they want to <laughs> find out more information, I definitely – my favorite place to interact with Reshma is on Instagram. But will you tell everybody where they can find you sure. online?
1: So you can find me at my website, ReshmaSajani.com. Follow me on Instagram at Rushmasajani. Follow me on Twitter at Twitter.com. Uh, at Twitter. If you want to learn more about Girls Who Code, come to Girls Who codecom But uh, you can find me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> thank you. Seriously, thank you so much for, um, for, for the wisdom today. And I think what I am most inspired by in your story is that you walked through a difficult season, you had a failure that so many other people would give up, and you turned that failure into a platform that you used not not to help yourself, but to help other women. And that is so freaking inspiring, not just to me, but I'm sure to all of our listeners. So thank you so much for the time and for lighting our hearts on fire today.
1: Thank you, Rachel. It's been huge to sit and talk to you and learn from you. We decided we were going to be best friends, and now we are.
0: Perfect. Perfect. It's a good plan. <laughs> At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home. The place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out.